Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Great to see you this morning. Look at somebody near you and say, hey, we're having church. Do that, would you? Hey, we're having church. That was fun. That was good. I enjoyed that. Wow. If you have your Bibles, would you take them? Turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to invite you to take them. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we're going to get in just a little bit as we begin a new series today called Strongholds. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're going to take a journey over this next month or so just talking about how Christ didn't just simply die for our sins so that we could die and go to heaven someday, but that we can actually walk in victory as believers in Christ. We're going to talk about some of the things that trip us up. Sometimes they hold us captive and how Christ wants to set us free and we begin that journey today. I don't know how many of you, in fact, i got to tell you, I don't have high expectations. I really don't. When I ask this question, I don't know how many will respond. How many of you enjoy, have watched, or read the books, The Lord of the Rings? Just raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of you. A few of you. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, we, there was something about last night. We had lots of folks. They all sat in one area. They did. It was weird. They had weird ears. They looked like elves. No, I'm kidding. That's not true. But anyway, no, they did. There was all kinds of them, young and old. First hour, same thing. A lot of folks like them. And, and um, we had, how many have ever heard of The Hobbit? Any of you hear that? Yeah, okay. The, the, same, same author. Same author, in fact. Same character in some way. When I was in high school, that was part of our reading we had to do in our literature class. J.R. Tolkien Christian author back in the 1930s actually wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, J.R. Tolkien, interesting creative mind. Um, kind of in the throes of World War II. Uh, certainly he was in England. Obviously they saw the advance of Nazi. But he, he, wrote, he wrote the trilogy not just about what was going on in the world. But he wrote it with this whole idea of good versus evil. That as believers in Christ, we've got to stand. We have to, we have to fight against evil and take a stand. And he uses this incredible imagery of, of wizards and elves and uh, dwarves and hobbits and humans and orcs and all of these characters to, to, give, to give the picture and the understanding of the work of evil and the permeation and how sinister evil can be and how we as believers need to stand as children of the light. It's really interesting. The movie came out, what, 2001 was the first one. Uh, Peter Jackson and the, I think it was called The Fellowship of the Rings, and the second one in the trilogy was The Two Towers, and the third one was The Return of the King. And, and um, by the way, if I'm ever invited to do a, a whole series based on it, I actually have like a whole series based on the whole thing. It's kind of cool, actually pretty good. You, Dan and I would be the only two that would like it. But it would be good. It would be the only ones. and Not just the idea. I'm not going to try to get into the whole book. You don't even have to necessarily like the book. But can I just, in fact, can I say something just at the start here? Now there are some of you who have a, somewhat of an obsession with the whole Lord of the Rings thing. And you know all the names. You know all the spellings. You know all the backstories. And you're going to be deeply tempted to contact me <laughs> and say, hey, you get that name wrong. Don't. 
I, I don't care that much. I, I like the movies. I, I just watch them for enjoyment. I love seeing the, the Christ figures that are in the trilogy. And it's fascinating. I like to sit there. For example, Gandalf the Grey, the wizard who becomes Gandalf the, the White, really is a picture of the resurrected Savior, the resurrected King, Jesus Christ. Um, he's an advocate on behalf of, of those that are carrying the, the bondage or the burden of sin. Frodo. Frodo is kind of a Christ character. He is, he is an innocent individual carrying the burden and the heaviness of sin. It's a picture of Christ. Aragon is the picture of the, he is the rightful ruler of the kingdom who will come. He is the rightful ruler, the king who will return. It's a picture of Jesus. It's incredible. The, the orcs, kind of a demonic force and ugly characters in the movies and, and all the other ones. I don't know, goblins, all those things, dwarves, all those things. And, but it's interesting because in the second movie, The Two Towers, the king of um, Rohan, I think it's Rohan, uh, the king of Rohan, they are the horse riders. It's a human race. The king is Theoden, if I recall, and the enemy of Saruman is, is marching against them, the demonic forces, so to speak. And the fellowship of the ring, the, the heroes of the story, they are, they're encouraging him to fight and to stand against the onslaught of evil. And he looks at him and says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to retreat. We're, we're going to protect our people and we are going to go where we have gone for generations. We are going to retreat to the mountain stronghold called Helm's Deep. Helm's Deep had been built generations earlier. It was a stronghold of multi-layers of walls built into a cave system in front of a, a mountain. And that's where they had, when the enemy attacks, that's where they would retreat to. And they would kind of stay there until the, the threat passed. The heroes of the story keep on encouraging them, no, this will not be defeated by retreating. You've got to stand against the enemy. They retreat. And they, they, they go into this, this retreat, this stronghold of Helm's Deep, and it's exactly what they thought would happen. The very walls that they thought were going to save them became their prison and threatened to become their tomb. Boy, if you catch that concept, when I, when I thought about this, I wonder if that's what Paul had in mind when Paul wrote the words that we know as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. The really familiar words, if you've been in churches over the years, you've heard somebody likely has pr have prayed these words, they've declared these words, they've stood on these words. But if you get the image of what I just described, I think it may be the picture of the freedom that God wants to bring through Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Say those two words with me, would you? Divine power. They have the ability with divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. So Paul is helping us to understand an imagery that for some believers we we get a little nervous about, but we have to understand, and that is even as believers in Jesus Christ, we're in a battle. We're at war. And the battle and the victory has been won by Christ on the cross, but, but what Paul is trying to help us to understand that even though it's like the promised land, Even though God had given the Israelites the promised land, they still had battles that had to be fought. The promise was theirs. The victory was theirs. The land was theirs. But they had to still drive out and continue to move forward as God gave them favor. In the Christian life, some of us are thrown off a little bit because we we think that when we come to Christ... It's one and done. We accept Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. But sometimes there are still battles that need to be fought. And the enemy of our soul, the the enemy is is Satan. The enemy of our soul is coming against us. Now, the, the war is not a physical war. Paul says it is a spiritual war. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he talks about it, he says, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but rather against the authorities, the principles, and the, uh, the rulers of this dark world. And, and then he says, and, then he says and, and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. So he says there is this spiritual battle that's going on. The enemy is attacking our soul. He, he wants to win. But he says, but I want you to understand, you're not defenseless. You have a weaponry. And one of the most important victories that have to be won is to demolish strongholds. Now let me just tell you, the enemy works in crazy ways in in people's lives. We understand from Scripture that in the life of someone who does not acknowledge Christ, a non-believer, that he actually can blind or bind the mind of the non-believer. Scripture says that when the veil is pulled away, That there's victory that comes in that and that we begin to get an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. But that doesn't mean the enemy isn't still trying to trip us up and bring about failure and shackles. This whole thing of strongholds, really interesting to me. About two, three years ago, um, I began to talk about this quite a bit in our office place. And Pastor Ian, I'd stop in every once in a while and I'd talk to others. I'd talk to others from different backgrounds and I, I would say, hey, tell me, talk to me about strongholds. And oftentimes when people talk about strongholds in the life of believers, what, we're talk, what, they, what they say is they, they, they somehow make almost a declaration that, well, you know, Satan has built strongholds in their life. The enemy has built strongholds in their life. And I struggle with that a little bit because, um, see, I understand that through the cross of Jesus Christ, the enemy's been defeated. And I struggle with that because I don't believe that, that Satan has any authority in our lives, according to the Word of God, right? He, he has, he has uh, Colossians chapter 2 says that, that he, he, he no longer has authority. And so he only has authority in the life of the believer if we allow him to have authority. Now that's different, different in the world, it's different when you're talking about somebody who's not a follower of Christ, but for a follower of Christ, we belong to him, we've been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the resurrection is ours, and so if we're, we're, we're going to work with a different definition. 
Strongholds are not the, 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 the walls that the enemy builds in our life, but I'm going to work with this one right here. In fact, it's in your note sheet. It's going to be our working definition of what a stronghold is. And you may think it's just semantics, but I think it's powerful. Strongholds are walls that we have constructed in our lives, thinking they're going to keep us safe. But rather than keep us safe, the enemy uses them to become unscalable walls that hold us captive. I want you to see the difference. Strongholds, strongholds are things that we build. And we think they're going to hold us and give us security and keep us safe, but the enemy uses them to hold us as prisoners. Let me give you some examples. Man, over the years I've watched this as I, I look at people's lives. For example... You might be an individual who, um, who grew up in a very abusive situation. Um, whether it was in your home or whether it was extended family, but you went through abuse as a child. And because of that horrific experience, we have every right to feel safe. And so what we do is we put up emotional barriers, walls, and we're not going to allow anybody to ever get close to us because we never want to be hurt and what happens is, is we never experience genuine intimacy and we struggle in relationships. Becomes a wall we thought was going to help keep us safe becomes a prison. Relationally. There are men and women that are here been through a marriage that ended in unfaithfulness by the other, other spouse. The devastation through that betrayal. The temptation. The temptation is to identify that every man is a louse, every woman is a cheat. And I'm never putting myself into any situation again where I could ever be hurt like that. You might even be married. But you're never going to be vulnerable. It's a wall. We build it to keep us safe. The enemy uses it to become a stronghold and hold us captive. I thought a lot about this. Pastor Dan, you work with students a lot. I, I think about this with our young people, especially, especially young women. I really notice this in the lives of young women because there is, I, I think our culture does so much damage by portraying to, to women in our society that they're just they're not really beautiful. And we do that by holding up these unrealistic standards of what beauty is. We want acceptance, right? We want to be loved. I feel unlovable, therefore I will pursue very unhealthy relationships to prove that somebody will love me. It'd be destructive. This whole thing of cutting. Man, we, I got to tell you, it has, become, it has become, especially with young ladies, it has become in our culture this almost epidemic. And what it is, it's a, it's a, it, you wouldn't think this is the case. It's a way of dealing with pain. That's what it is. And there is something about the infliction of pain that masks an, etern an internal pain. It becomes almost addictive. Whereby by that pain, it becomes a wall that I think is going to give me a sense of safety. It becomes a stronghold. Pornography. 
Pornography can begin as a, as a physical thing, but it almost never stays there. It's really an emotional thing. This desire for intimacy, and yet it's a counterfeit intimacy that becomes a wall in our life, becomes a shackle, becomes a stronghold. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, I am convinced unforgiveness is a, it is actually a logical response to dealing with hurts and wounds in our life. Because there's a sense that we've got to have justice. Let me ask you this, is justice a good thing? The answer is yes. God is a God of justice, right? We want justice. And we want to have control over the justice. Therefore, we are going to hold this, 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 this wall toward this individual in my life. Why? Because I want to somehow have control over the justice that's going to come. And what do we find out? We've learned it over the years. We think we're shackling them. It becomes our prison. Worry, stress, fear, all of those things, it's a desire for control. We hate being out of control. We hate being in a situation where, where we don't know what's going to happen. And so our emotional response is to obsess and to worry. And so Jesus deals with this whole thing of obsessing and worrying. It's amazing to me how strongholds, very normal, natural things can become walls in our life that the enemy uses and creates these strongholds. And, it, and what's crazy is, even though we've been set th uh, free through Jesus Christ, we live in prison. God never intended that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And Christ said that if the Son sets you free, he'll, you'll be free indeed. And so he is not just making a, uh, he's making a promise and a pledge that I can actually give you victory. And so let me give you a couple of observations, okay? Now, when we get out of here today, we're going to give you three tools, right? We're going to tell you what some of the weapons are that are going to help in this. But let me give you a couple of observations. Number one, strongholds tend to begin with very real areas of need. These are normal. These are normal and natural areas. Um, there is a desire in us. It is natural to want to live. Can I just tell you that? It is natural to want to live. It is net white because God designed us to live. It's a good thing, right? Um, God designed us to live in community with others. God designed us to want to have um, uh, 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 acceptance by others. God designed us to want to live in community and fellowship and to have relationship and to be loved. It is very normal to want to be loved. In fact, people who say to me, I don't want to be, I don't care, I don't care about love. I, you know what? I don't care what people think about me. I think you're lying to yourself. I, I think there's a wall. And somewhere in your life you put up that wall because you thought it's going to keep you from being dis disappointed when people don't accept you and don't love you. And you're in danger of allowing a stronghold. These are normal things. Intimacy, normal thing. God designed us for it. Number two, strongholds tend to be connected to a lie from the enemy. Now this makes sense because when you think about how the enemy of our soul, Satan, works against us, primarily in the life of a believer, he utilizes lies. 
Now we know from Scripture that the enemy wants to fight against the expanse of the gospel. We know that he actually comes against missionaries. We know from Scripture that he, that he is able to, what I say, blind the eyes of the enemy, we, or the, the, uh, the eyes of the non-believer. We know that happens, but in the life of the believer, the primary way that he works is to accuse us falsely and to lie. Jesus said this, in fact, when I read this, I wish I'd have known this as a kid. I'd have used it against my mom when she wanted to wash my mouth out with soap, you know, for calling somebody a liar. Um, Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. My mom would have pulled out the dawn and she'd have put a little bit of it on my tongue for calling somebody a liar. I wish I'd have known that verse, I'd have quoted it to her. <laughs> Jesus called Satan a liar. And then she probably would have spanked my butt, but that's a whole other thing, you know. In fact, it's interesting what Scripture says. The way Satan works is he masquerades as an angel of light. Now, what does that mean? It means that he tells lies, but they're not bold lies, right? It, it, they're, 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 they're lies that sound just close enough to what could be true that you start to actually think they might be true. That's the way, by the way, he worked with Adam and Eve, right? For sins. By the way, Satan had no dominion. Sin hadn't entered the world. Right? There was, he had no dominion. He had no, he had no authority. He was just a fallen angel who wanted to be like God. And it says that when he tempted Eve, he's standing there with Eve, or he's with Eve, and he says, huh, did God really say that you can't, uh, you can't have anything to eat? Eve looks at him and says, well, no, he didn't say I couldn't have any fruit. He, he said we just couldn't eat the fruit off of that one tree in the middle of the garden. And by the way, we're not, we're not even supposed to touch it or we'll die. What was the lie? God doesn't care about you. God has kept everything away from you. God, God, has, God has taken everything that is joyful and will give you significance and he wants to hold it back from you. That was the lie. And isn't it interesting? She bought in a little bit. Because she actually twisted what God said. God never said she couldn't touch the tree. Just said, don't eat it. Next he lies again and says, oh, you're not going to die. He knows that if you eat it, you'll be like him. What's the lie? Number one, there's no consequences for disobeying God. But number two, God's holding out on you. He doesn't really want what's best for you. The stuff in your life that you're yearning for, he's not going to let you have it because, because he just doesn't care about you and he doesn't want you to have the best. Now, what's the truth? The truth is God wants to protect you. God loves you. But the enemy will always use a lie. And you tell a lie long enough, often enough, and you'll start to believe it. There was a guy uh, back a number of years ago, he was a sociologist. Um, I happen to think he was kind of cruel. Uh, a guy's name was George Mead. He did a, a study 
on orphans and orphanages. And uh, I don't know how he got away with this. I have no idea how this all happened. But he, he had a theory. And what he did is he segregated some of the babies that were in the orphanage. And he put one in one group, another in another group. And in the first group, they had very, very little human contact. They were never, they were never um, comforted when they cried. They were only fed, and they changed their diaper. They had no human interaction. They, they never were loved on. They were never given any affection. The second group was treated like you would think a child should be treated. They were nurtured. They were, they were loved. They were comforted. And as the children grew, he observed that the children who were shown none of that as children began to believe. They couldn't have relationships. They began to actually believe that they were unlovable. He developed a principle called the mirror principle. The mirror principle is that we tend to believe the reflection of how people treat us in life, the distorted views we tend to believe about ourselves. If people treat you as unlovable, if they treat you as stupid, if they treat you, you begin to believe that lie, and that is a stronghold in so many li- lives because a very normal, natural desire in their life has now been tainted with a lie by the enemy. Number three, it becomes a stronghold when we embrace it. When we embrace the lie, that's when it becomes our stronghold. When we begin to believe this lie, that's when it becomes a stronghold in our life. We build these walls thinking they will bring us safety and security. What they really do is hold us captive. But number four, we are not left by ourselves. God has given us weapons of victory at our disposal. And that's what I want to take us on today because I want to talk to you a little bit about the the, the weapons that God has given us to, to break down strongholds, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. Because Paul says we have the ability to break down these strongholds. We're able to take captive these thoughts and bring them into submission with Christ. And the first one is simply this, truth. Say that with me, would you? Truth. You don't believe it. Say it out loud. Ready? Truth. Truth equals God's word. And I say that because Jesus said that if you're my disciples, you're going to follow my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So the primary way that God helps us to understand how to break down these things in our life is to understand truth. Because truth has a way of setting us free. There was years ago, years ago in the whole banking world, they used to have this illustration that the way they would teach tellers how to be able to spot counterfeit bills was not by giving them examples of counterfeit bills. The way that they would teach them what a counterfeit bill looked like was to give them hundreds and thousands of real bills. And as they handled the real thing over and over and over again, If they saw something that didn't look like that, they very quickly could see something was wrong. They could spot the counterfeit. The way we spot counterfeit is not to spend all of our time talking about the counterfeits. The way we spot counterfeits is to live truth. And the way we live truth is by being in God's word. Fascinating stuff. Um, 
the Assemblies of God Church. I have friends that are pastors in the Assemblies Church, and we're not an Assemblies Church, but we're, we're not that different. I figure, ah, eh, we're kind of, we're just kind of, we're people, right? We're Christians. I got to believe we're not that dissimilar. And he told me about a study that was done by George Barna. In fact, the Assemblies of God, they hired George Barna, who George Barna is just uh, renowned. Actually, he used to attend a missionary church in Ventura, California. Uh, George Barna is a, just kind of a renowned uh, studier of stats and, and culture. And they hired him to do a study of the illiteracy, of biblical illiteracy in the Assemblies of God church. And they wanted to see what the impact is of people who spend time in the Bible and those who don't. And fascinating. I started researching this on, online. I was actually able to download the study. And I downloaded the study, and they make it statistically, they show a quantitative difference between those who spend regular time. In fact, they, they broke them into three categories. There are those who spend. Um, what they would describe as they are often in the Word of God, and to be often in the Word of God is to be in the Bible 10 minutes, four days a week. That's pretty doable, isn't it? 10 minutes, 10 minutes a day, four days a week, 40 minutes. By the way, I'm not telling you that that's a lot, okay? I'm telling you that's what they looked at. If they spent a modest amount of time in the Bible, they were in the Bible 10 minutes, one time a week. And if they were seldom in the Bible, that was the third category. And they began to look at those who operated in the gifts of the Spirit, but specifically the one that I looked at was the fruit of the Spirit, because the fruit of the Spirit is the overflow of the character of God by the ministry of the Spirit of God in a person's life. For example, Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control, missed one. Can't remember what it is. I mean, I got all the order. There are nine characteristics that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is doing a work. These ought to be growing in your life. You're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be there all at once. But these ought to be. So you should become more loving as you walk with Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. Paul says that in uh, uh, Galatians chapter 6. They found that those who were in the, I'm in the Bible a lot category, four days a week, 10 hours, or 10, 10 minutes a day. Yeah, 10 hours is quite a bit a day. That's almost as much as Pastor Dan spends in the Bible. Those who identified as kindness, that's one of them. Kindness is I regularly seek opportunities to do something nice for others. How many want to be kind? I'm looking at who didn't raise their hand right now. Real quick, who doesn't want to be? Okay, right. Of those who were in 10 minutes a day, four days a week, 65% said they self-identified, yes, I think that I exhibit kindness. I look for opportunities of being nice to people. Those who did not, self-identified, 14%. I can tell you're not impressed. Goodness. Those who regularly seek God's wisdom. They say, I regularly seek God's wisdom. 
to help me do the right thing. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Of those who were in the Word four days a week, 10, 10 minutes, 88% said, I regularly seek God's wisdom. Those who did not, 27%. Now, I know what you're thinking. Duh. You needed a study to tell you that? It's like the studies. You need a study to tell you smoking is bad for your health? I mean, it's that kind of a thing. No, what I, what I want you to understand is it's quantitative. No, I don't need George Barna to tell me that. But doesn't it make sense? Because if I'm never in God's word, I don't really have a sense of what God wants for my life. I, I don't really... I really don't allow the Spirit of God to be permeated because I'm never, I don't know what truth is. And what's interesting is the enemy is constantly whispering lies. And so he whispers in your ear, you're unlovable. And, and the Word of God just shouts back at us truth that says, what do you mean you're unlovable? Of course I love you. For God so loved the world, John 3.16. I mean, you can live life on John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever, believe, or whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But God loves you. We know what God, what love is, 1 John chapter 4, because God first loved us. While we were yet sinners, uh, Romans chapter uh, 5, he says, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means you're here this morning, you don't even know the Lord, and you've never asked him to forgive you. He still loves you. Gosh, I wish I could spend time. If there was a group of people I would love to just spend hours with, it would be junior high men and young men and women. Because the enemy just keeps on whispering lies. God's word says, hey, let me give you a lie right now. And I am telling you, I'm not the guy who looks for Satan behind every rock, but I am telling you it is the spirit of the enemy in our culture today that somehow... Suicide is a good idea. And don't tell me it's not permeating our culture. I've been, if, now, listen, I understand mental disease. I understand, hey, believe me, I come alongside of families in this whole thing. What I'm saying is, that's a lie. Life is precious. Life is beautiful. Oh, no, no, it's beyond hope. Hey, by the way, take your life. People will applaud you. They'll affirm you. They'll love you. The baby in the womb's not a baby. He's a choice. He's your choice. That's a lie. You were beautifully and wonderfully made, Scripture says, that in your mother's womb you were knit together. Before you were even conceived, God knew your name. Your identity was established in that moment. That's truth. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what politics says. God's word is my, it's my rock. And I, can I tell you, I waver sometimes. I do. But God's word never wavers. And he says what? He says you'll never be forgiven. I got a Greek word for that. Baloney. 
Colossians chapter 2 says that when Christ died for my sins, he forgave all my sins, not just some of them. That John, again, sin is horrific. Sin has consequences. Don't let the enemy tell you it doesn't, right? But, but 1 John 1, 9 says, but if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There is not a single person who has to walk out of here today carrying guilt and carrying shame because you don't think God can forgive you. That is, that is a lie. And the truth will what? Set you free. Lauren Daigle is a Christian artist. Many of you like her music. And she sang actually at the beginning, I think it was Star Spangled Banner at the, uh, the college uh, football national championship out of Louisiana. And, and, I, and I, I, was, I never thought about it before, but I, I looked at one of her songs. I pulled it up this morning. And uh, it's, it's a song that says, You Say. Here's what, here's what it says. She says, I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not good enough. That I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me that I'll never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am. Because I need to know. You say I am loved when I feel, when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I'm weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say, I am yours, and I believe. I believe. That is a great, great lyric of truth. Number two. Grace. Say that with me, would you? Grace. We gotta close it up. Let me let me let me let me tell you what I'm talking about here. I am talking about the see, I think I'm gonna talk about prayer as it relates to grace. Prayer places us in the path of God's grace. Now, grace, grace is all the resources of heaven paid for by Christ. But what I'm talking about is that that when we begin to come before God and pray. God's grace begins to break shackles in our life. When we pray for ourselves, for strength, for clarity, for right thinking, the grace of God begins to communicate like Paul did when he said, I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. Paul said, I begged God to take away this weakness. But he said, every time I prayed it, God would look at me and he would simply say, my grace is sufficient for you. So Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so you have some areas of your life, unhealthy patterns. They are sins that keep on wanting to just define you and hold you bondage. And and you're so disappointed because as a believer, you're saying, I shouldn't even struggle with these anymore. Can I tell you something that will help you? Yes, God wants us to live in victory, But can I just say that if you never struggled with anything, your struggle would be pride. Every time you struggle with that, it is a reminder of how deeply you need God's grace and that his grace gives you the strength to overcome. 
And as you pray for others, you're setting them in the path of God's favor. And you are setting them. God can begin. People say, well, you can't change a person through prayer. Yeah, but God can break down strongholds. And he can take captive every thought. And it's amazing what the grace of God can do when it begins to permeate. See, I am convinced that the word of God is truth that holds us steady, but that we need prayer, which is the grace of God, to continually help us in our time of need. In fact, um, Hebrews chapter 4, he says that through our high priest Jesus Christ, we can come confidently before the throne of God grace where we find mercy in our time of need. And I don't know about you, but I have needs all the time. All the time. Well, Pastor Phil, you need a crutch. Are you kidding? I need a couple of them. God is, you know what people, they think that's a negative thing. God's your crutch. Of course he's my crutch. I don't think that makes me weak at all. I think it makes me pretty strong. Yeah, thanks Marshall. You want to come up here and preach this? You're doing a good job. Let me give you the last one. Gives us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You're saying, well, isn't that what you just talked about? Yes, the Holy Spirit is the author of, he breathes the word of God. Yes, the Holy Spirit enables us in prayer. But I want you to understand that John says that who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And Paul says that where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. And that doesn't just mean in a situation like in our service when the Spirit of God is moving that he breaks down chains and he breaks down strongholds. That when God is moving in your life and the Spirit of God is working, he's able to break these things in your life. If any man is in Christ, Paul says, what? Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5.17, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. He's continually working in your life. And the only reason I talk about the Holy Spirit as much as I talk about it is because Jesus talked about it. And Jesus said that if I don't go away, I can't send another. And I want you to know another's going to come and he's going to be the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside of. He's the Holy Spirit and he's going to teach you what truth is and he's going to help you to understand uh, what sin is and he's going to enable you, he's going to empower you, he's he's going to grow you, he's going to change you. And the Spirit of God is, He brings freedom into our lives. Okay, we gotta close it. So can I just have you just for a second, just to, just if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Just just let me talk to you for a second. What is the constant battle that is going on in your life right now? Spiritually speaking. Just a constant battle. What is the unhealthy habit or thought pattern? In fact, I think think you might have to let the Spirit of God reveal this to you. Your thinking's wrong. What you're thinking about others, what you think about yourself, your very skewed view of life. My parents hate me. 
God, you've left me. I'll never have a future. Joy isn't for me. What is the life-dominating sin that cyclically trips you up? Jesus promises if the Son sets you free, you can know what it is to be free indeed. And while there are some unhealthy strongholds in our life, God actually wants to be your stronghold. Scripture declares it. He wants to be your identity. He wants to be your forgiveness. He wants to be your freedom. He wants to be your joy. He wants to be your acceptance. Can I tell you, can I tell you, there are guys in the room, especially men, that are still looking for affirmation from their dads. And I'm going to be very honest with you, even if he's already passed away, you're still looking for it. And there is an affirmation that can only come from your Heavenly Father. And there are ladies in the room that are still looking. They're still looking. And there's a love and acceptance and a safety that can only come through Him. So I want to read a verse of Scripture that I believe is a promise from God to you this morning. God says, can a mother forget the baby that's at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. You see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. The promise of God is that no matter what the wall, the barrier is in your life, He sees that barrier. He's aware of that barrier and because He loves you and will never forget you, He wants to deal with that wall. That unscalable barrier in your life that is keeping you from where you are going to live in victory. He wants to give you freedom. Lord, this has been a precious morning. I believe there's a journey of freedom that comes when we acknowledge you. In fact, there are some that are here this morning that I, I really believe there are light bulbs coming on because they, they really don't not being mean they have just they've never asked you to ever come into their life and forgive them can you do that you can do that right now I gotta tell you when the spirit of God begins to pull back the veil that's the time to respond say Lord forgive me come into my life I want to be free I want to be forgiven I want to be yours journey begins now. Thank you, Father. You're incredible.
and we rejoice in you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.